At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Well, good morning and happy new year. Great to see you here today. For those of you watching online, uh, we are excited to begin the new year. Now, many years ago, before our kids were born, what you need to know is Bonnie and I had the opportunity to live outside of the United States. For a year and a half, we established a residence about 650 miles off the coast of the Carolinas. Some of you may not know what that is or what's going on out there, but 650 miles off the coast of the Carolinas is a little tiny island known as Bermuda. And Bonnie and I had the opportunity to uh, live on the island of Bermuda. Now, some of you were aware of this. I detailed some of this experience and how this shaped me in the book that I wrote many years ago. But what I may not have mentioned publicly is the challenge that living outside of the country provided for each of us. If any of you have ever done that, if any of you ever have moved outside of your country, you know that it can come with some very unique challenges and unique experiences. Now, the truth is when people would ask us and as we reflect together upon our time on the island, uh, we often quote Charles Dickens' famous line from his book, The Tale of Two Cities. You familiar with it? It says these were the best of times and the worst of times. Now, the best of times came with the pink, sandy beaches of Bermuda. They're amazing, and the weather was wonderful. But there was also this challenge of what it meant to be outsiders. The daily and consistent pursuit that we had of striving to fit into a culture that was not our own. So living outside of the U.S. on the island of Bermuda was an amazing experience. I want you to know that it was amazing and it has shaped us for many, many years. But it was also a time of deep challenge. Today we are beginning a sermon series that's going to guide you and me through some challenging circumstances. And when I talk about challenging circumstances, what I'm referring to is what it means to live out our faith in our 21st century culture. In many ways, we are foreigners living in this land. 
And so we hope over the course of the next few weeks to be able to understand what that means for you and for me as we navigate living in this culture. We're going to turn to Daniel in just a moment, but first, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, as we begin a new calendar year, we confess that we need you. We need you. We need your grace in our lives. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. We need your wisdom. We need you. And so, God, that's why we've gathered here today. Because we need with the truth of your word to teach us, to guide us, to mold us, to shape us into the people that you desire for us to be. So, God, would you meet with us today? Through the power of your word, would you meet with each and every person here today? Through the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts. Mold us and shape us, God. But as always, for that to happen, we need eyes to see this truth. And so we ask that you would show it to us. We need ears to hear your truth, so we ask for those as well. And then, God, may you find our hearts humble before you that you might do your work in our hearts and in our lives and ultimately through us into our culture. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we begin our deep dive into the Old Testament book of Daniel. It is a book that confronts us with truth about what it means to be people of faith living in another culture. That is why our series is titled Daniel Clash of Cultures. Now, over the next six weeks, what we're going to be doing is seeing how you and I can remain loyal to our faith in the midst of this culture. It's a culture that is hostile to our beliefs in many practical and significant ways. And so we hope that Daniel will guide us. Now what we're going to be doing is digging into just the first six books of the book of Daniel. This is the historical narrative portion of the book. Some of us might say, well, I wanted to read the whole thing of Daniel. Well, actually, we're just going to be digging into those first six books. And those six books are going to guide us. Because what we'll find is that Daniel and his friends were in the midst of a powerful, progressive, and pagan culture. And yet, they remained firm. So, as we read about Daniel the young man who was chosen to serve in the court of the king of Babylon. We're going to learn about what it means to live a life in exile. We are going to learn together what a life in Babylonian culture would be like. And then we're going to see what life is like for God's people as foreigners living in a strange land as they strive to remain true to their faith amidst a culture that is pushing and pushing and pushing hard against it. 
that's where we are going as we open the book of Daniel. So let's grab our Bibles and dig in. We are going to be looking at Daniel chapter 1. Now, when I say Daniel chapter 1, it is a long chapter. There's 21 verses, and so what we're going to be doing today is we are going to be digging in uh, just to those first segment, then we'll, we'll, I'll do a bit of teaching, and then we'll go to a next segment, and then we'll go further on. So let's just read this first segment of Daniel chapter 1. You are going to find that on page 737 in our church Bibles, uh, or of course, you can read along on the screen behind me. Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans." Now the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And that's where we're going to stop. Lots of names there, obviously some a little bit difficult to pronounce. Some of those names are familiar to you, others you probably either never heard of or forgotten them entirely. Now, let me encourage you, as you read this portion, don't get caught up in the names. Don't get caught up in the pronunciation of those people. While interesting, to be sure, that is not our focus today. You see, our focus today is on what our sovereign God is doing in the lives of his people. That's the focus And it's also a time for you and I to consider the work that he desires to do in our hearts today in our culture as we seek to live out our faith. These are the things that we're going to be looking at today and throughout our series. So as we dig into this text more deeply, it is always important for us to have what? Context. Absolutely. Because as always, it matters as we seek to understand what in the world is going on. It's difficult to just grab our Bible, open it up, and have an understanding of what's happening in the text. So it's good that we have some context. So what's just taken place here is one of the most devastating events in the history of Israel. Jerusalem, the crown jewel of Israel, has been seized by the enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. 
If that wasn't bad enough, the temple where Almighty God meets with his, his people, it's been destroyed. And all this happened during the reign of one of Israel's evil kings, a guy by the name of Jehoiakim. Now, I want you to know, I don't just kind of toss that name or that phrase around. He was an evil king. I don't just toss that around easily. The reason I say that is because it's accurate. It's accurate, and I know that because a number of Israel's kings throughout their history were actually described in the Old Testament that way. Oftentimes you would read and it would say, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, King Jehoiakim had led Israel in a way that was not faithful to the covenant that they had with God. Instead, what he did is he pursued other gods. So the Lord, the Lord gave them over to their enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look back at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. This is the setting that Daniel highlights for all of us to read. And if you are keeping score, what that means is Israel was conquered. Israel was disgraced. And God's people are now a people in exile. Now, some of you might say, well, Pastor, that seems kind of defeatist. It's kind of heavy. It's kind of negative. You're kind of taking a negative approach. Well, actually, the opposite is true. You'd say, whoa, 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 wait. Because what these things reveal to us is God's sovereignty in all of it. God's sovereignty in all things. And this story helps us to see that God is sovereign over our cultural circumstances. He's sovereign over them. Even in the face of something evil, evil like Babylon? Yes, even that. You see, Babylon was one of the nations that God had used to punish Israel for its lack of covenant faithfulness. They lacked faithfulness. Instead of worshiping the one true God, the God of their forefathers, the God who brought them out of exile already, Israel repeatedly did what they wanted. They ran after other gods. They turned to idols, and that was a breaking of their covenant. When they would worship other gods and run off after idols. You know, this was something that we discussed a number of times in uh, our Bible reading experience called Immerse this past semester. Now, I'd say we talked about it because you know what happens? When you read a large portion of the Old Testament like that, in that format, you read things again and again and again and again. And you know what God's people did repeatedly? They turned to other gods, and they turned to idols. They turned their back on the covenant that they had with their God. And while God is absolutely a loving and gracious God, he is also a God who takes worship very seriously. Very seriously. You see, throughout the first portion of our text... 
We've just read verses 1 through 7. And what we find is that King Nebuchadnezzar methodically tried to strip God's people of their convictions. What you see in that text is the king of Babylon striving to kind of break down the convictions of God's people. In verses 2 through 4, the king takes the strongest and the best influencers to expand his purposes. They say, well, how is that different? Well, that goes directly against what God's heart is as he is compassion for all, not just the select few. Then you get to verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar chooses the best and the brightest to teach literature and language. Now let's call this for a moment cultural discipleship because that's what King Nebuchadnezzar was seeking to do. He was seeking to train them in the Babylonian way. So it's cultural discipleship, and it is a breaking down of their convictions, training them in a different way. And then in verses 6 and 7, the king changes their Hebrew names to the names of Babylonian gods. It's a clear dismantling of all that should be. It's a dismantling of social, educational, and religious convictions. It is strategic, and he does that consistently. Church, I want you to know that this is one of the many places in God's Word where you and I can see the whole of Scripture, that it actually has merit for your life and mine today. Oftentimes people will say, well, I'd read the Bible, but it really isn't, isn't relevant to my life. It really isn't relevant to what I'm experiencing. And I want to point you and say, actually it is even the Old Testament, because that's what we're looking at. It has merit for our lives today, right here in Metro Detroit, as we begin 2024. Here's what I mean. What happened to God's people under King Nebuchadnezzar has similarities to what is happening to you and me today in our culture. Influencers are promoting everything except biblical values. Much of higher education has actually left behind its Christian roots and adapted to the world. They've turned their back on the historical Christian roots that they began with. Oftentimes, even written on their buildings, they've turned their back on that and adapted to the ways of the world. And much of religion in our day It swims against the grain of biblical Christianity. So you've got influencers, you've got education, and you've got religion. What King Nebuchadnezzar is doing to the people of God in our text is the same thing that's happening in our world today. And while sad, it's true. So believers must recognize the cultural influences that are pressing in upon our lives. We must recognize the cultural influences upon our lives. And here's where the application of truth, when we read a text, how do we apply it to our lives? Because it's easy to see how cultural influences mold us and shape us. So we have to look at the text and come to the text and say, okay, well, how do I walk my faith out in the midst of that? 
Let's be honest with each other. It's far more difficult to do that. We can see what's going on in our world. It's far more difficult to guard our hearts and guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Growing any kind of depth of faith. We need to be growing deep with a root in God's word in our lives. It's imperative that we do that with the youngest disciples among us all the way up to the seniors among us. Every single one of us needs the influence of God's word on our lives. This is why, as a church, we place a high value on teaching the Bible to children and kids in our kids' ministry and in our student ministries. We take that very seriously. This is also why adults are encouraged to be connected in a Christ-centered community that we call life groups. We're starting new life groups right now in the new year. If you are not in one, may I encourage you today, today's the day, get in one. Get in one. But there's also something where we take the influence of the kids and the Bible teaching there and the inexperience of the adults and we put them together in something we call family discipleship. We believe that the best opportunity to grow these deep roots in the lives of our kids and in our families is to do it at home. And so we want to equip you. And so we're going to be having our next family discipleship experience uh, in a couple Sundays on January 21st important. It's important to stand against our culture as it pushes in on us, and this is the best way to do it. And as I mentioned a moment ago, growing deeper in God's Word happens when we actually read God's Word. We're going to be doing Immerse again here in February, our next semester. If you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do so. It is a wonderful opportunity to get an understanding of God's Word, to allow it to change you, to mold you, to shape you. Now, as we begin the new year, you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Those just seem like a lot of religious activities. You just gave me a whole laundry list of things to do. No, here's what I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you to invest in the knowledge of God and of his word. That's not a religious activity. That's a discipleship opportunity for you and your family to know God and to be able to stand in him and to walk in his ways. It's not just religious stuff. It's training for you and your family. So White Lake family, we provide these opportunities to strengthen you, to equip you, so that you and your family can withstand the stuff that the culture continues to throw at us, to influence us with. I hope that you will take advantage of those in the days ahead. Now, Let's continue in our text. Daniel chapter 1, verses, we're going to pick it up at verse 8. Read through verse 16, our second segment. Let's continue the narrative. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. And compassion 
And he did so in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in a worse condition than the youths who were, uh, are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. The guy has fear about giving in. And then Daniel said to the steward, when whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what it is that you see. So he listened to them. And he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. A little shout out to the vegetarians among us. <laughs> The reality is this is the first of a, numer- a number of times that Daniel and his teenage friends actually stood up against the culture. Stood up against what was being subscribed uh, or prescribed for them. They didn't cave to societal pressure. They didn't compromise their convictions. Instead, what we see in verse 8 tells us something very important. Here's what it reads. But Daniel resolved... Simply stated, what that means is that Daniel stuck with his deep-seated convictions. He didn't cave. He was firm. Was there cultural pressure in the moment? Absolutely. Without question. Did they have a, a desire to be accepted in the moment? It would have been easier to just go along with everybody else. We understand that too. And yet Daniel and his friends leaned into what they knew to be true of God and of his laws. They sought faithfulness. They sought to be faithful. Now, practically speaking, what this meant is that they couldn't freely enjoy the king's food as it was being presented. That's what faithfulness looked like here. And you say, well, why is that? Because the dietary laws that God required were established to remind God's people that they belonged to him. They belonged to him. He was their God, and they were his people. And Israel's diet was a tangible reminder of that special covenant relationship that they had. You see, and when Israel modeled faithfulness in what they put into their body, it was an outward display of their dependence upon God. It marked them as God's people. This helps you and I to be reminded that we are called to be dependent upon our God. You and I are called to remain dependent upon him. You know, in just a few moments... We're going to have an opportunity to participate in something very special. It's called the Lord's Supper or communion. Now, I say it's very special because this is our way as the people of God under the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ to model our dependence upon him. 
When you and I gather around the table, when we celebrate communion, we are not simply doing some religious ritual. It's not just something like, oh yeah, that happens on the first Sunday of every month. It's this religious thing I do. It's far more than that. Instead, what you and I are declaring publicly, that we have been marked by the blood of Christ. He died for us, and we have faith in him unto salvation. When we eat the bread, and when we drink the cup, we are publicly practicing our dependence upon our God. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, church, let's look at the final segment of our text. Daniel 1. Pick it up at verse 17. As for those four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. I want to stop right there. The young men who'd modeled such faithfulness, modeled such strong convictions, they are brought in before the pagan king. I want you to sit in that moment for just a second and recognize the intensity that they had to feel in that moment. They stood against their practices, stayed true to their convictions, and now, in this moment, they are being brought before the pagan king. Will God honor their faithfulness? Or will they suffer the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar? Let's pick it up at verse 19. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Again, God intervenes on behalf of his people. Say, how can I say that? Look back at verse 17. God gave. God provided. It's the same phrase that is repeated throughout chapter 1. And at each time, what happens is it highlights a unique way that God provides a special measure of grace for Daniel and for his friends. It happens throughout the chapter. And ultimately, this helps you and I see that as God's people, we receive God's divine favor. God graciously gives his people divine favor. And I want us to consider Daniel and his friends and how God gave them that favor. There's three specific ways. You might be familiar with them. First, he blessed them intellectually. He did that by giving them wisdom. This was demonstrated by not indulging in the pagan food. 
Next, God blessed them practically they, they, with skills to apply what they had learned. In verse 20, we see that they were 10 times better than the others. Oh, wait a minute. Those are God's people. They're 10 times better than what else is going on in that culture. And then finally, God blessed them supernaturally. Daniel had given them a depth of spiritual understanding that could not be learned in a classroom. There was a depth of understanding. God gave them the ability to understand dreams and visions, and we're going to find out how important that is in the days ahead. That is significant in Daniel's future. You see, so when you and I consider how God blessed Daniel, it helps us understand, it helps us see and experience a valuable truth that God's sovereign plan reigns over all cultural circumstances. God's supernatural plan reigns over all cultural circumstances in this period of time and in our lives. Now, I want to close our time together by acknowledging that that phrase that I just repeated two times might seem distant to you today. You might say, well, Pastor, that's nice. It seems a little abstract to me. It doesn't really connect with my life. It doesn't connect with the cultural circumstances that I'm dealing with today. Let me assure you, it isn't distant. And it is an abstract. Because in the midst of the cultural pressures that you face every single day, when you head out into the world as believers, what you face, you know that God has extended his amazing grace to you through his son, Jesus the Christ. And what this means is that no matter the trial, no matter the circumstance, no matter the challenge that you and I face, Jesus provides you and me an opportunity to experience his peace. As we come to him, we experience it because Jesus has ultimate control. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.